Hello, and welcome to the Growth Chronicles, a mind, body, spirit podcast. And thank you for joining us. I am your host, Dana Phillips. Today, I am being joined by my wonderful colleague and friend, Jared Murray. Jared is a savvy business leader and driven consultant who has dedicated his life to helping others. With a master of science in industrial and organizational psychology, Jared founded a, a successful consulting firm, Hire Design LLC, serving clients nationwide with creative solutions to their business needs. He specializes in providing fractional human resource services to organizations of all sizes. He left the sunny beaches of San Diego to settle in South Georgia, where living with his family in South Georgia, Jared has made a name for himself as an innovative problem solver who maintains a strong commitment to quality results and customer satisfaction. Welcome, Jared. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for being here. So um, thank you. You know, we, we talked about being on the podcast for a little bit and I, and you are my first guest. So I'm super excited to have you. <laughs> thank you for joining us on this journey. So Jared, we kind of want to talk about a couple of things, but first, what have you been growing through, brother? Tell me. Gosh, where to start? Uh, what you grow through, you grow through almost, it seems like every day, every minute, something new that happens, something that throws, is thrown in front of you um, from dealing with anxieties with clients and anxieties with yourself um, and, you know, having the, the imposter syndromes, which I think probably the most recent one that I finally was able to get over was kind of an imposter syndrome. What I had to grow through is, uh, you know, you go in there and you see all these PhDs and doctoral, you know, professors that are, oh, I know HR, I know this, I know that, psychology. You listen to them and it's, it's amazing what they say. The yeah. presentations are amazing. It's like, I can't even grasp that. But then you start giving presentations and you realize, oh, well, they probably prepared for this for like a month. So that's why they sound so amazing. And it's not, not so much of, I'm not an imposter anymore. I'm just one of them now. I can fit in with one of them if I prepare ahead of time. And it's taken me probably almost a good year to really get through that, to really grow into, I'm not an imposter. I do know what I'm talking about. And because that, you know, the imposter syndrome, as you know, it spirals into so many different things, anxiety, paranoia. Um, you sell yourself short all the time and it's, it's, it's destructive, but it's self-destructive. And so biggest thing I grew through recently was really uh, the imposter syndrome of getting over and say, no, I, I am where I belong. I'm passionate about it. And I do know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. I actually been, uh, that was one of the things that I was struggling with um, earlier this year also was, was imposter syndrome. And, and for me, it, as a coach, right? So I don't have a master's or, you know, PhD, all those things, but I have real life experience, right? So sometimes, you know, just being in the room with that can just be intimidating in itself. But my background being in healthcare and, and you know, working with physicians and, yeah. and administration and all of that, like I kind of had to remember like, wait a second, just because you don't have that on the wall doesn't mean that it doesn't make you qualified. Um, and I can hold the conversations and I can, you know, I can keep up, right. Essentially, you know, mm -hmm. my air quotes, uh, I can keep up with the conversations and, and it's always funny because they're so, I think people are surprised like, Oh, wait a minute. What do you, what do you do? You're not and I'm like, no, I didn't actually go to school for this. I, I, I'm a geek and I, you know, I geek out on, on like psychology and I study it because it's mm -hmm. fascinating to me. Do you know what I mean? So, um, but that's kind of how I got into wanting to, to work and coach because the things that I learned on how to work with myself, education is power. So the more that you yeah. you're educated, the more that you can help others. So, 
So that's really how that helped me, but, and then also helping my anxiety, right? Um, do you find that the imposter syndrome shows up not just for like one particular thing, but like it'll like, kind of like the onion, like that, that, that analogy, of the yeah. onion, like where you, you think you've gotten it right, but then it all of a sudden it shows up again somewhere else for something else. Do you, do you find that that's happened to you? Oh gosh. Yeah. It never ends. You know, that's, I think that's what, you know, a lot of people think too. And a lot of these professors, they, they don't have those life experiences that we have, that you have, that I have, that you've been there, done that. And they think, oh, once you get past the imposter syndrome, you might have to do something else. Well, that's not true. It'll resurface over and over and over again, because then you get a different issue. And it's like, oh, I don't know if I, can, I should do that. I should hand that off to somebody else. And so, no, you can do that. And it, it just, it, it does unpeel and keep going and going and say, well, if I can't do that, then maybe I shouldn't be doing this or this or this. And it could, it's really damaging because you can't, when you talk to a client or you talk to an employee, even you can't have that, that fear. You have to be confident in what you're saying and building that confidence. is always, I think a daily struggle because it's all, you, you're not gonna be perfect. Right. You're going to make a mistake. And that's, I think that's where my imposter syndrome really comes up is when I, you know, it's like, Oh, oh crap. That was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I got a backtrack on that. It's like, maybe I, maybe I should step. And I was like, no, no one's perfect. <laughs> Once right. you get behind the curtain, we're all making mistakes and we're all have the same fears and anxiety. It's what we do with that anxiety and how we, we cope with it. We improvise with it. You know, you improvise, adapt and overcome, you know, you, you can't let it cripple you. And so right. it's, that's the hardest part. But yeah, you, I, I think it resurfaces constantly. Yeah, I, I agree. One of the, um, one of the, the, I don't say reasons, but one of the, the ways that I recently uh, kind of pushed through it was I was on a leadership call um, with Naveed and I, I mentioned, you know, I mentioned to him the imposter syndrome and he kind of, he said something that was so life-changing for me that it really, it, for whatever reason, it just like clicked and, and it made so much sense. He said, um, if you don't think that you're good enough, you're not, right? Mm -hmm. He said, it, whenever you start something new, because I was actually talking about the podcast. I was like, yeah, I've kind of, I've been tabling it for a couple of months now, <laughs> you know? And he's like, he goes, no, but like that, it really shows up when you are starting a new project or you're, you know, for lack of a better mm -hmm. term, leveling up and some, something else. Right. Yeah. So, so it, that's when the imposter syndrome comes in hard and heavy and, and, and it'll really show up for you. And he said, if, if you think you're not good enough, you're not, and that's okay. Right. So it's okay for you to, you know, kind of stumble a little bit and, and but as you progress, you know, and, and you start really dedicating and being committed to it, then you get better. And then it doesn't really show up for you as hard. I mean, probably maybe somewhere down the line, you know, but not as hard as, as it does in the beginning of something. And so I think that relieves so much pressure for me <laughs> because <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't know how to do this at all. Like I know how to, how to speak, right. I can get on there and just like, I can talk endlessly for an hour or whatever, but obviously I'm like, I'm not going to do that. But I mean, still it, it's that who wants to hear me? Like, what do I, what do I have to say? That's, yeah. like, you know what I mean? And, and what if I don't make a difference, but then, then it kind of comes back to your why, right? So why are you doing this? And, and my why has always been to connect. And if I, if I make a difference, if I connect with one person, then I think I've succeeded. Like that to me is, is a yeah. success. Do you know what I mean? So I think you have, oh, yeah. to, you have to redefine what success means for you. Um, when you're dealing with your imposter syndrome, right? Because if it's a small win, 
then it's really super achievable. Yeah. But if it's, if you're like, well, I just want to conquer the entire audience and I want to connect with all 120 people that are sitting in the audience, that's a little bit harder. You know what I mean? But if you're like, look, if I have one person on my side, I'm good. Yeah. And I, you know, I had, um, I've had a lot of support and, you know, professionally and personally. And, you know, my, uh, my father was a consultant when he retired and he's been a mentor for me. And, you know, he's, he's like, you're not gonna please them all, you know? And I had a conversation with him one time. I had a, a client that was a very small, small client. I started growing more and more and getting bigger clients. And this one small client was driving me nuts. I was like, well, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Cause they keep questioning everything I'm doing. And, uh, he, sometimes you have to disconnect because I called him up and said, you know, I think I'm just going to throw in the towel. And he said, I think you need to take a step back and look at your bigger clients. He said, who are they? What do they do? And how powerful are they? I said, okay, well, yeah, they're, they're pretty big people. And he said, are they listening to you? Well, yeah, they are. Well, then why does that little client matter? But you know, the thing is, is like in psychology, you know, that you have 10 positive things but that one negative thing you always fixate on. And I think that's the hardest thing from, from my imposter syndrome is it's always, I've got, this little client that's just, well, why, why should I trust you? Why, what, what qualifications do you have? Well, I don't know. I taught the courses for years. I think I know a little <laughs> bit. I mean, I, it's like I taught the college level courses, the master level courses. I mean, maybe I know a little bit, you know, Yeah. <laughs> but, but you don't think of that when you're trying to talk to them, you know, they, they have all these questions and they sit there and they drill you over and over. And you're like, I don't know the answer. You're not, not going to know everything. You know, and it's, it's kind of like when, when we prep people for interviews, when they go for a job interview, if they have very job specific questions, you're not going to get it right. But as long as you try and give it a general one and say, well, it's related to this, then that's fine because you're going to fail at that question regardless because they have a specific answer they're looking for. You're probably not going to have it because you're not involved in it. And they're so hyper-focused on that, you know, but you have to be able to have the charisma to dance around it and bring attention back to you. It's the same thing. You know, you have to be able to dance around those and go, you know what? You can take my advice or you can not take my advice because this person who's bigger than all of us combined is. So I'm just going to go for that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, a, I guess, a, a perception shift or a paradigm shift of what you, of where you're at, of shifting over and pulling yourself out of the situation and seeing what you actually have. Absolutely. That, that's been hard for me. How do you, so, so can, can we like, just talk about that a little bit because mm-hmm. imposter syndrome you know, everybody from, you know, obviously people that we work with, CEOs, employees, anybody, entrepreneurs, right? Um, students, anybody can can be affected, right? I, I know physicians that I worked with that were amazing surgeons that they, you know, 20 years into their respective careers and were completely respected in, in the, uh, you know, within the community still had imposter syndrome. You know, they still felt mm-hmm. like, you know, when they were coming up for the surgery, they had to literally visualize it and go through the thing to make sure. And it was so interesting to me, you know, because I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, like everybody loves you. Like everybody knows what an amazing physician you are. And, you know, this person would be like, yeah, but sometimes I don't feel that, you know, what if I get something wrong? I have the ability because I'm human to get something wrong. He goes, and I can't, do you know what I mean? And so that was, was so eye-opening for me um, as I was kind of coming up and, and cause I, I, I'm so fascinated by behavior and, and, and patterns, like human patterns and stuff. And so I'm so fascinated by that. Yeah. But how we kind of bring that in, into why we question ourselves. So then do you think having like a conscious awareness 
um, how much that affects and how much that helps with the imposter syndrome? Um, I think it's a give and a take. I think it's just like the model of eustress and de-stress. Eustress is good, de-stress is bad. You have to have a nice, you know, average of them. And I think it, I think the best people question themselves. I think the best people tend to say, is this really what I want to do? Because then they go get that education to feel more confident in it. You have the ones that come out that are, you know, narcissistic, grandiose and say, I don't need it. I already know it. You know, I don't need an imposter syndrome. I'm, I'm amazing. You know, those are the ones that aren't the best ones, but the ones that care and the ones that want to do better, the ones that want to make a change will have that imposter syndrome because they, they want to be the best that they can be. And they look at themselves and they're hard on themselves and say, well, I don't have that. You know, and I think it's, it's, a, it could be a tool. I, you know, you have to, again, I think in my, my opinion is you have to do that whole perception and paradigm shift of you know, anxiety is bad. Imposter syndrome is bad, but you can use it as a tool if you use it properly. You know, where's your imposter syndrome? My imposter syndrome is in the education of employment law. Okay, well then go figure it out. Go take a class, learn as much as you can. Human resources alone changes almost every day. So go yeah. figure it out. You know, it's just like, it's a, it's a drive for me. It's, it's, it keeps me from being lazy and just sitting there and oh, I already know all of that. I have my master's degree in that from what? A long time ago, we'll just say a long time ago. I won't date myself. We'll just say a long time ago, you know? And so it's like, well, that's, <laughs> a lot of that's outdated. You know, yeah. I mean, you have to keep up to date. Um, COVID wasn't even a thought when I was in master's, my master's program, you know? So it's like, it's going to change. And that, I think my opinion, what I do with that imposter syndrome is it motivates me to, to get up and say, no, I need to figure that out. You know, I've got this, you know, it's a client that's asking this question. I need to figure it out. I'm going to research it. I may take a, you know, an extra day or two to, before I write them back, but I will have the best research I'll ever see because I want to make sure I'm the right fit for that. And I want to make sure. And so I think it's, a lot of it is, it's not, I guess it's not so much of getting over the imposter syndrome. It's, it's learning how to use it, how to utilize it as a tool and adapt to it and push through it. That's brilliant. So let me, I love that so much because with, when I'm working with my clients with anxiety, one of the first things that I say to them is I'm not here to cure your anxiety. Like that's not going to be a thing. What I can do is I can teach you how to use your anxiety as a superpower and use your emotions as a superpower. So that falls in line with my beliefs and and how I work. Um, so I, I'm going to do that now. Thank you so much for that. That was yeah. such a great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's you know it's it's it stemmed from you know experiences and, it, and I have to give my father-in-law some credit for this. He's you know he worked a regular job, then he did his own farm company, became very successful at it. And you know I was terrified to tell him, hey, I walked away from a university job with a steady pay, and you know, and I'm going to start my own thing. But he looked at me real real calm and said, don't ever look back. And I've thought about that. And I was like, you know, that's the same thing with anxiety. If I look back and give in, that anxiety will cripple me. But if I take that anxiety and that, that imposter syndrome, everything that comes with it, the stress, the pain of doing a business and use it as a tool, then I can grow faster and I can grow stronger. And then I can help others grow because then I can get into a position where I don't have to charge for every single minute of my time. I can sit and say, hey, let's just sit down. Let me just help you. Let me show you what I screwed up on. Let me show you what was successful for me. And you really get a better your imposter syndrome becomes a tool it's like hey i didn't know this area let me show you so you don't struggle through that and then you can kind of bounce off of each other but the not looking back the anxiety becoming a really crippling you know once you look back and say maybe i should go back to this that anxiety won yeah you have to use it as a tool yeah yeah it, you always have it I, I still get it i mean yeah <laughs> i yeah, had anxiety about about a podcast <laughs> <laughs> did you i me too, actually, now that you're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
but here we are. We're, we're using we the tool are. pushing through. Absolutely. Doing it together. There we go. Um, you have been, so I recently moved to South Georgia, uh, same area where, where Jared is. And Jared has been so amazing in helping me um, get acclimated to the environment and been so welcoming and so warm and, and so wonderful, such a great support system. Um, and I'm so grateful, which is one of the reasons that I really, it was really important for me to have you on here. Um, because I just think that you are, you know, you have so much knowledge and so much experience, right? You and I get sit down for our networking one-to-ones and, you know, they go in from, we start with business and then we end up just kind of like, you know, <laughs> derailing and going everywhere else and, and just life in general. And so I have such respect for you because of that you have you're such an open person right so one of the things that I I always appreciated about you um and even more so recently is that we can we can have our conversations about you know business and networking and all the things right but then we can also connect on such a human level right so like when we talked about uh you know our, our belief systems you know it was just it was more of a curiosity I was like okay well, I, I don't know so much about this, you know, explain to me. And so you were so wonderful in being open and just being, you know, uh, uh, you know, educational about, you know, your beliefs and everything. And I was like, okay, that's so cool because this is what I do too. <laughs> and it was just really nice. And it was, it was such a non-judgmental um, space that, that you are, that you held. And I, I'm so grateful for that. And to me, you know, that goes back into holding space and, and, and connecting on a very human level, like you were just talking about with the imposter syndrome, right? So I think that's what your superpower is, right? Your superpower <laughs> is really connecting on a human level. And I, I, I have such respect for that. Let me ask you, so we talked a little bit this week um, and you mentioned something, and I thought it was just so fascinating when you said it. I was like, oh my God, that's brilliant. That makes so much sense. Tell me a little bit about being your professional victim. Oh, my little professional victim babies. So, Because <laughs> when you said it, I was like, oh, my God, I know so many people like that. Tell uh, me. They love it. You know, it's I, when I've explained it to other people before, I've explained it to students before when because we're try, trying to train them to get into HR, trying to get them into an organizational behavior. You're going to run into a professional victim, at least one within the first couple of years. No matter what you do, you can't help them. You can't solve their issue because they thrive on that victimhood. Um, and even if they're the instigator, they will twist it to becoming the victim and, you know, have all the, the buzzwords, you know, gaslighting, all these different things that you can use. But the reality is, is they love the attention. And so they become a victim because that's the attention they get. And they've, they, they've become so, so not stubborn, but they are so set in becoming that, that that's how they thrive. Um, and at risk of getting me in trouble, the biggest thing I could think of is when you have a bunch of secretaries together that aren't busy, they love to gossip. Mm. It's 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 almost then they and it's not it, it's not even the the gossip that what the content of the gossip is. They love the the thrill of the gossip. It's the same thing with the professional victim. They love the thrill of a professional victim. And you'll go in and they'll send they'll send you reports after report after report. They'll file all these different claims. You go through each one, and you know part of the job is to find out if it's drama or a policy violation, and you'll notice that they start to get better and better and better. And they start to tie into the policies because they start learning. And then you have to really be careful with it, but they, they have, you know, and I don't know how else to say it. They, they're, they're narcissistic, they're grandiose. Everybody else is the issue, not them. And 
you could they could go through and catch a building on fire and say it wasn't my fault i was i was here and this match just lit itself it came after me i mean it's, it's ridiculous some of the things i can't <laughs> they could come up with you know? i was just standing there and they yeah. just kind of you know self-combusted i have no idea how that happened yeah yeah, they'll be full committed. Internal combustion. I don't know what happened. I mean, they'll I be fully committed in it. Right. And you'll be they'll be trying to work with them, and it's just it's it's hard. And, and you know, it's funny because you have you have we have a phrase. Some people say in HR, a lot of people in HR fail into HR. They don't really want to do it. They don't really care about it. They're not really educated. And it's okay. It's my last ditch. I could do HR. That's easy. And so they they don't have that. They've become too sympathetic as, as opposed to just empathetic. Empathetic of of relating to them and understanding them. But that doesn't mean you fold to everything. So you take that professional victim and you have to guide them along, understanding and knowing that you're not going to correct every part of their behavior because their behavior is going to always cycle over and over back and forth again. And you just can't fix it. Um, and so you have to start to use that to better them as a tool. And you have to always look at it as a tool, as a set of, oh, I'm going to do a corrective action and change your behavior when you're, you're not going to with a professional victim. Can I so you have to, to do it as a tool. Can I ask you, do you, do you find, and I know we, we're, we're not here to, uh, to diagnose, but do you find that most professional victims are narcissists? Yes, um, the majority of them are, but it's, it's, it's a little different. Like they're, you, you picture the kid that's been bullied his whole life and he's a bully. He controls, he's narcissistic, he's controlling, he's mean. Why? Because he had no control in his life before. Everything was out of control. So he's going to grasp the, grab the one thing that he can control. And that's mm -hmm. someone else. And so within the professional victim, you know, they, they usually have a harder background, a rougher life. And they get stuck in that rut of being a professional victim because they probably were a victim at one point. Um, but they also received a lot of attention from being a victim and they've built off of that. And so then instead of having someone to kind of pull them along and get them through it, like you, where you would help them advance and get through it they kind of get stuck it's kind of like the the glory days football player that's reliving high school in his 50s you know they're just stuck right. yeah <laughs> they're just stuck and yeah so they, it's it's hard to move them along and and sometimes it's really impossible to move them along because because the level of narcissism that they have is so high you nothing you say because they they know better they absolutely know everything better one of the things that i found um as as even a survivor of narcissistic abuse was that when you are in a narcissistic abusive relationship as the receiver, I hate to say victim, but as the victim, right? You, in order to survive, you have to almost, you end up getting some traits of the narcissist yourself. Because for me, I wasn't going to be outsmarted. Right. I wasn't going to be outplayed. I wasn't going to be out whatever emotion, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I ended up like almost trying to outdo my narcissist and, you know, trying and, and, and to be quite honest, um, you know, one of them was <laughs> studied psychology. So mm -hmm. he knew exactly how to hit those ticks and got me to the point where I was like, am I crazy? Like, you know, and you should know oh, yeah. that. And, you know, you're, you teach this, you're a coach, you're this, and how could you possibly be? And, you know, who do you think you are type, you know, conversations making me feel like, well, yeah, maybe I'm not, you know? Um, but I say that to say is that if on the receiving and 
the victims of narcissist abuse, a lot of times we end up getting the traits of the narcissist because we are trying to just survive. That's, you know, it's, it's almost oh, yeah. a survival tactic. Yeah. And then because we can't, so here's where I see it in, in with my coaching, right? Is that <clears throat> um, because there is little to no control at home when they're in the, in the uh, midst of the abuse, if you will, then they have to go somewhere else, which is where you see it, right? So yeah. a lot of times it's, you know, I don't have this, I, I'm not uh, strong in the environment at, at my supposed to be safe place, which is home. So I'm going to go somewhere else, which is where you're seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> Does that work at the office? And so when we were talking about it, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, it makes so much sense how it spills over because, you know, a lot of times you would see that, you know, these people would go try to go into mostly management positions or try to be team lead or something like that because mm -hmm. it makes them feel better. Yeah, it makes them feel like they have purpose. It makes them feel like, but still hold on to the victim part of it. Yes. Yes. And that's, you know, it's, you have the, the success stories like you and, you know, I, as you know, I've, I've had some success stories of that as well with, you know, being, you know, on that, on that receiving end as well. And it's, it's a hard thing to get over. And I think that's where a lot of, you know, company, you know, companies aren't responsible completely for your personal life, but they are responsible for you as an individual. And I think a lot of those, those HR people that fail into the field, they don't know how to be eloquent enough to develop people. And so they, they see these people and say, well, you leave all your personal stuff at the door. <laughs> Did you do that too? You know, I mean, right. and, they, and, they, and, they, and they view themselves of, well, this is my role. What's important is my life. Well, every one of us is thinking, this, is thinking the same thing. You know, we all have individual lives. We all have individual issues that we're going through. And sometimes you have to step back and say, hey, uh, Jared, did you have a bad day today? Is that why you blew up on me? What's going on? And, you know, there is a sense of, of, it's not really a, a legal responsibility. Some of it is a little bit, but you have a responsibility for their well-being, you know, and you have the Maslow's hierarchy. If none of those needs are filled, then they're going to be a horrible person to be really, to be honest. And if you're not able to fill it and say, Hey, do you need help? Do you need something? We have, I'm able to offer it, but we have resources for you. What can we do to help you? And you can kind of see the real person under the professional victim come out a little bit the hard part with the professional victim is they have a personal life and the personal life bleeds into their professional life and vice versa. And so they're going to go home and it's going to unravel everything you did. And so you have to be very patient with it, but it's, you know, it, it very rarely can you correct someone that has adopted the full professional victim because they thrive in it. And, you know, a lot of the, those that have survived, in my opinion, those that have survived the narcissist, the grandiest people, the, those horrible people, um, they didn't, they were a victim, but they weren't a professional victim. And it took the, maybe the understanding of someone holding their hands and saying, Hey, you are a victim. Let's move you forward. Um, mine was a, a professional acquaintance. It wasn't like therapist, wasn't someone personal. It was someone we were driving a car to a business meeting because we need to move forward. You're, you're hurting. And it was kind of like, well, I'm a master's in psychology. No, no, but not, you can't hurt me. Right. You know? exactly. <laughs> I got I, this. I, I'm fine. Yeah, I grew up next to a Marine base. You can't touch me. No. Right. <laughs> but but, but I, it's very wrong. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. Um, people know how to pick your buttons and professional victims. They can, they find your buttons immediately. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them, you know, they don't have that control. So they will, and they, it's like we talked about earlier, the hyper-focus, they will hyper-focus on you. You know, they're so focused on being a professional victim, they're hyper-focused on you and they will control everything. You know, oh, did you, you didn't tie your right shoe, you didn't tie your left shoe the right way. You didn't go around the tree. 
you know, I mean, there's all sorts yeah. of things that they'll do yeah. and, and it's, it's belittling and that, and that even resurfaces back to the other side of, then you start feeling like an imposter in certain areas. Nice. <laughs> so it's, it's like, like your onion, it just keeps yeah. going. Um, and, and that's why, you know, I might, you know, I didn't have, you know, as you said earlier, from San Diego, when I went through my issues, I didn't have family out here in Georgia. And so I remember, you know, I would get phone calls from family every once in a while, making sure I was okay. And I remember one day I just looked in the mirror and said, you know what? I can't rely on other's happiness. I have to create my own happiness. Everything that's thrown at me, I'm just going to use it. I'm going to use it as my own tool. I'm going to use it as my own way to push forward, um, which is kind of funny. It's going to sound, it's going to really make me sound very nerdy. But so my kids love video games. And that's how I teach them. I say, listen, everything you go through is XP or experience. That, that those challenges, that anxiety, that, that paranoia, use that and then build on it and you can get more experience and you level yourself up every time. You, you can continue like your growth, the growth chronicles. It's all it is. It's, you're continuing to grow and right. you have to grow. And if you don't, if you look back and you let it win, then you're stuck and then you're going to miss the next growth milestone. And then you're going to be more further behind, behind and behind. So you have to use it as a tool to push you forward. Um, and, you know, having that use stress where it's the good stress you know, that motivates you. You're not lazy anymore. And then find that line where it's a de-stress. If I got, I got to unplug now. You know, sometimes it's, sometimes it is too much. All things in moderation. You have to have everything in moderation. So yeah, that's my opinion on that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And I love using the video games as kind of, especially with kids, because it's, it's mm -hmm. easier for them to relate that way. Right. If you sit down and try to break down psychology to them, you'll be like, huh, what? <laughs> <laughs> they try to keep up. <laughs> my, my, my teenager goes, oh yeah, I know that. No, you know, you know. <laughs> And that's okay. You know, it took me <laughs> decades to figure it out. So don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, teens. Teens, aren't yes. they fun? <laughs> yes, we, we have the new phrase in our houses. I agree, but still. But still is always at the end. <laughs> but still. <laughs> but still. My, but still. Uh, mine was, uh, however. 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 <laughs> yes. Yep. Yes. However. Oh, okay. <laughs> So then I would Make be like, sure. okay, however, however, comma, and they would say, yes, however, comma, and then they would continue on with their rebuttal. And I'm like, uh-huh, well, very good. So now yep. that's the joke. So whenever I say, however, I say, however, comma, because that's the joke. talk about imposter syndrome, being a parent, you feel that every day, don't you? <laughs> oh my God. Uh. I think we could do an entire show just on being an imposter syndrome. Just when you think you haven't figured out, they're like, yeah, no. Oh, yeah, that's like you the, thought you knew something, huh? My brother's got a whole slew of kids. He's got nine kids. I remember calling him for Christmas and saying, how was your Christmas? He says, nobody's bleeding or in the hospital. It was successful. I'm calling it a night. It's a win. <laughs> it is an absolute you know win. I'm going to use that. Nobody went to the hospital today. <laughs> it's a good day. <laughs> that is yeah. awesome. That is great. Three boys. Oh, no broken bones today. We are good to go. <laughs> right? <laughs> Look, I only had two boys, but Oh my gosh, those two. I I just I don't need they mm -hmm. were such so dramatically different than my girl. My girl was so sweet, she was so loving, she was like a mama bear, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. she, the whole thing. And then I had my first boy and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> what is going on? What is I feel like I don't understand anything anymore. Why why are uh -huh. you behaving like when I had another boy? And I was like, Oh my God, there's two of them. Why are they talking to me? <laughs> they just feed off of each other. Hold on. <laughs> and here's the thing is that my older son, um, he was, since he was really young, super analytical. I mean, when he was like, I don't know, four years old, he would only, 
only, it was a requirement that he wore button down shirts, mm. right? His jeans and his, call them Dominican <laughs> sandals, but they were like the little brown sandals yeah. or whatever. Yeah. He and his nails had to be cut a certain way, right? So at like four <laughs> years old, I'm dealing with this, yeah? Then I have my youngest one, Devin, who just absolutely is the ADD all over the place. He's just like, they would play uh, rock, paper, scissors, and Devin would just throw other things in, like tornado, and, go, <laughs> and it would just drive my yeah. oldest son just absolutely bananas. He couldn't even handle it, right? So these yeah. two, I have a super analytical one on one side, and then I have the ADD super creative on the other, and they just bumped heads every millisecond of the day. It was absolutely insane. Yep. Yeah, my, my <laughs> oldest is very analytical, wants to be an engineer, looking at material and nuclear engineering, and then I've got my my middle boy, who the biggest challenge for him is to not ask a question for one minute, and he yeah. still has not been able to do it. <laughs> and, and it'll be like, yeah, I'll be like, hey, let's play a game. Whoever can not ask a question for a minute wins. Did we start yet? Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I, he he can't, and he can't. And, and he own, yeah. and he, lo he owns. He's like, yeah, I can't stay quiet. Oh well, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. This is me. Love <laughs> yeah. you, leave me alone. This is what yeah. we're doing here. We, we've gone to the point where it's like, okay, just don't be the loudest in the room. Then you won't get as much trouble. <laughs> you, I think that's it. You kind of have to find like that medium, right? You're just like, all right, we're going to, because you can't change. You don't want to change them. That's their personality. No. It's just like, all right, well, we're just going to need to figure out how to work with. How's that? Yeah, you know, and it's, and it's like, I love summertime working from home. I can hear them all outside and I love them. But near the end, it's like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> I love you all. <laughs> yeah, I love you all. It's heartbreaking to see you disappear, and I miss seeing you. But I got a lot to do. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, this was amazing. Um, I am so grateful to have had you here with us today. This was so wonderful. Um, tell the people how they can find you. So I'm gonna do, as I told you, I'm kind of do a little bit of a video clip, but for whoever doesn't see this to get the, the video clip of your um, QR code, how can they tell us a little bit about your company and your contact information, how they can find you? The easiest way is to go to our website, which is hiredesignllc.com. Um, and you'll see a summary of most of our services, everywhere from fractional HR to we, we do business consulting. So it's bookkeeping, uh, instructional technology policies anything that you need really to help grow your business or maintain sustain the business growth um, at the very bottom of see contact us if you want to contact me directly it's jared.murray at higherdesignllc.com it's j-a-r-r-o-d period m-u-r-r-a-y at higher design llc um, it's probably the quickest way to get a hold of us um, you know and we we try and tailor our services to everyone that comes in whether you have one employee or getting trying to get one employee to whether you have 20, 30, 40, 50 employees. Uh, we have some that have for close to 100 employees. Um, we help you hit each milestone within the, the federal laws and your state laws. We go everywhere from California, Florida, New York. Um, we research everything for you. Uh, if you're not sure about a law or a process, we research it and break it down into terms that everybody understands. Uh, we also have times where we have coaching. We'll coach your managers one-on-one, -on -one, meet with them and develop them into managers. Uh, so those are just some of the some of the things that we do for people. Um, we've gone all the way to just being an asset on site for them to where that's just an HR person that's there part time because it's a lot cheaper to do a part time person processing paperwork than a full time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, we try and mold it and tailor it to however their budget uh, constraints are. 
Um, and because our we don't consider ourselves successful unless you grow. Uh, once you grow, then we grow. Once you're successful, we're successful. And if that means if we got to dial it down a little bit financially, we will do so for you. That is awesome. And you guys do such an amazing job. I've always been so impressed with your work. So thank you for being here. Um, so we are going to head out with a quote today by Deepak Chopra. In the midst of movement and chaos, keep stillness inside of you. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you next week. And until then, be kind to yourself and to others. Ciao for now. Thank you.